Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Merry Christmas. And Glenn Leverins. That's how I know. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023. Good morning, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. Welcome to another edition of Morning Air on the Memorial of the Most Holy Name of Jesus. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance, our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. It's good to be with you for our first live broadcast of the new year here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. As you probably know by now, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, one of the world's foremost theologians and the first pope to retire in almost 600 years, died on Saturday at the age of 95. More on Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI um, in a few moments. We begin this morning with the horrific news that uh, Buffalo Bills safety Damar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest following a hit in Monday night's game against the Cincinnati Bengals, causing him to collapse laps on the field. Want to bring in our morning air team, Glenn and Sarah. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. This is a tough way to start our first uh, broadcast, guys. Yeah, great to be back with you guys. But my goodness, uh, the stuff going on over the weekend in the news, a very, very sad football game that was postponed about five minutes into it last night. Again, Bill Safety, Damar Hamlin collapsed on the field, making a tackle uh, appeared to be hit in the chest by the runner, uh, got up after the play, and immediately fell back down. TV cutaway, came back, didn't say much, cutaway again. You knew, hmm, something must be seriously wrong. And uh, the the thing the uh, the announcers were seeing that we weren't seeing on TV, kind of the uh, ongoing camera feed that wasn't on the air, showing him getting CPR, as in his heart had stopped on the field. He was getting CPR for many, many minutes Ambulance drove onto the field to take him off to the hospital where he remains today in critical condition. Yeah, ESPN uh, reporter Lisa Salters had this to say. We've grown accustomed to it, seeing guys take hard hits, uh, see them stay down for a little while, get back up, give the thumbs up. And and that's all we were all hoping for. And when that didn't happen, I think this entire stadium was just devastated. Yeah, you can hear she's noticeably upset. It's just a very scary thing what happened. So I'm sure everyone there was not expecting that the game to go that direction. You can hear the emotion in her voice and obviously incredible emotion on the field from uh, both uh, the Bills and the Bengals and all the fans in the stadium. I I uh, listened to some of the radio broadcast uh, from Monday Night Football as I was going to bed, so I didn't actually see the, the hit live when it happened. Um, but uh, the reaction from the folks in the stands uh, immediately was prayer. The, the players on the field uh, praying, uh, consoling each other, and obviously the game uh, has been uh, postponed indefinitely. Seems like uh, this is the kind of moment that we see in sports that it brings people together. In many ways, it brought America together. It didn't matter what side, uh, whether you're a Bills or Bengals fan or not even a football fan, everybody's praying um, for this young man. Well, I think it put into perspective right away the, the place of sports as entertainment in, in first place was this young man's life and uh, how to respond to that game wasn't called off immediately. Uh, but it seemed like this was something, you know, that was such a shock. It was kind of hard to cover for the announcers in the booth as well as those uh, back at the at the uh, 
home office, as it were, for ESPN covering the game. Uh, and we're, they were in shock. They got to see some things that uh, that we didn't uh, right away anyway. And uh, looking at the players' faces, uh, they all knew this was different than a, than a guy going down, even, you know, carted off with a broken bone or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, his heart had stopped. Uh, he was brought back to life on the field there, and that uh, shook everyone deeply that was involved in the game. Yeah, I imagine that if you're there, and like uh, Lisa was saying, you're just used to people, they fall, they get up, you know, hey, the ambulance comes out, checks the leg. But this was something completely different. And I think the reaction that we see with everyone, no matter who they were, getting on their knees and praying, and I mean, that is just so touching in a country where, you know, we're so divided about prayer, about God, about that plate, what place that should have mm-hmm. in, in, in the country. And just that we're, we're all, t- they were all together in on that and everyone who was um, watching and, and now seeing the footage now, if you didn't watch it, then we're all in that same place where this could happen. You know, this is a thing that touches us deeply when something tragic happens to someone close to us or someone that we weren't expecting, we go straight to prayer. Absolutely. And uh, the next uh, 12 to 24 hours are going to be critical uh, for Damar Hamlin's recovering. That is according to the doctor. So we continue to pray for him. Obviously, um, on social media, uh, people have responded uh, with uh, many wishes and and prayers. And in fact, uh, $3 million were raised uh, overnight for his charity, Glenn. Yeah, he was uh, trying to raise money for Christmas gifts for uh, underprivileged children in uh, his area, the town he was from. Their goal, uh, $25,000. They were about $12,000 there before the game. And like you said, John, that uh, that way up to $3 million now. Folks just wanting to do something. And I think, too, I mean, Sarah, you mentioned how, how cool it was to you know see people praying. Sad that it took this to bring someone together, but to see everyone praying, the teammates, uh, you know, many people in the stands and around the country were doing that as well. But... Uh, but to see that, and you wonder, these young men playing the game in the prime of their physical life, death, the furthest thing from their mind, and suddenly it's right in front of them. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, um, Glenn, um, many prayers in the last few days since Saturday uh, for uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, uh, who passed away uh, on Saturday. Your thoughts on, on his passing and, um, and what is the latest? Well, very latest, uh, he's uh, lying in state at the Vatican, and that'll go on until Thursday, when uh, Thursday the 5th will be his funeral, uh, led by uh, Pope Francis. And, uh, yeah, outpouring of support. Many more folks have come by than even expected. Uh, kind of a quiet announcement, Saturday morning, 934, uh, 9.34, Rome time in the morning. Uh, pope uh, Emeritus Benedict XVI was 95, again, first pope in 600 years to retire from the job, and uh, kind of a unique situation there but uh, yeah he uh, you know took over his pope a couple years into into relevant radio so we uh, watched his ascension very closely there a lot of conservative catholics were very happy to see him in charge as uh, he really uh, brought to bear some serious catholic theology and uh, combining faith and reason uh, one of uh, his big things as well and uh, definitely missed by by many well, we have uh, lots of reaction um, that we're going to share with you in the next few days. Um, Cardinal uh, Timothy Dolan, the Archbishop of New York, uh, spoke to WABC uh, at the airport on his way to Rome uh, for the funeral of uh, Pope Benedict XVI. I can't claim to have been, you know, in his inner circle, that's for sure. But, boy, I treasured my time with him. I respected him immensely. And as you just noted, 
I owe him a lot. He's the one that uh, appointed me to be Archbishop of New York. Everybody knew of his presence, and I thought, you know, Wednesday when Pope Francis uh, announced uh, uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict has taken a turn and would you please pray for him, and he used a beautiful word. He said, he has sustained the church these last nine years with his solitude, his prayer, his study, and his presence. And I thought that word sustenance, he really did that, as you say in the background, but boy, his presence was still felt, and I think it's going to be felt for a long time. And that was uh, the Archbishop of New York, Cardinal Timothy Dolan. Uh, we begin every morning uh, here on the show, always in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. And we uh, pray in a special way for the repose of the soul of Pope Emeritus Benedict. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Our Lady Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. We always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now, uh, since yesterday, uh, January 2nd, the body of Pope Emeritus, uh, Pope Benedict, uh, has been laying in state in St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican with tens of thousands of the faithful waiting for hours to pay their respect. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI's funeral will be celebrated by Pope Francis on Thursday, January 5th in St. Peter's Square. In a few uh, minutes, we're going to go live uh, to our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, for the latest from the Vatican. Joseph Ratzinger was ordained a priest in 1951. The future Pope Benedict XVI contributed to the Catholic Church long before he was elected to the papacy, first as a young theological advisor at the Second Vatican Council and then as the head of the Vatican's doctrinal office under Pope John Paul II. Pope Benedict XVI will be remembered as a theologian, a priest, a bishop, and especially as a teacher with his many prolific writings on our Lord Jesus Christ that always defended the traditional teachings of the Catholic Church. The pontificate of Pope Benedict XVI began on Tuesday evening, April 19, 2005. It was a historic and electrifying moment seen around the world on live television as a sea of humanity with flags waving from all corners of the world waited in anticipation for the 264th successor of St. Peter in St. Peter's Square. Shortly after white smoke appeared from the Sistine Chapel and the bells of St. Peter's began to ring, the Cardinal Protodeacon Jorge Cardinal Medina made the announcement in dramatic fashion. Annuncio vobis gaudium magnum. I announce to you a great joy. Abemus papam. We have a Pope. 
After 17 days of mourning for Pope John Paul II and the first papal conclave of the millennium, which lasted less than two days, 78-year-old Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger ascended to the throne of St. Peter, taking the name Pope Benedict XVI, becoming the first German pope in nearly a thousand years. The new Holy Father, dressed in his papal vestments, stepped onto the balcony of St. Peter's Basilica amidst cheers of Viva il Papa and greeted the city of Rome and the world, raising his hands to the cheering crowd. Cari fratelli e sorelle, dear brothers and sisters, Dopo il grande Papa Giovanni Paolo II, after our great Pope John Paul II, i signori cardinali hanno eletto me un semplice umile lavoratore nella vigna del Signore. A simple humble worker in God's vineyard. Pope Benedict XVI continued in the footsteps of Pope John Paul II and at 78 years old, was the oldest to become Pope in more than a century. He was also the first German pontiff since Victor II in the 11th century. Pope Benedict XVI was also a man of great faith, a career world-class theologian who continued the teachings of the Second Vatican Council and was a strong defender of the Catholic faith. Just before his election, the Holy Father warned of the dictatorship of relativism during his homily to open the papal conclave. On May 9, 2005, Pope Benedict announced that he had waived the five-year rule to begin the beatification process for Pope John Paul II. His first visit outside of Rome would be to Bari in the southeast of Italy at the International Eucharistic Congress to celebrate the Year of the Eucharist. Pope Benedict XVI set the tone of his papacy early in his first 100 days by meeting with Muslim and Jewish leaders, showing that the ecumenical focus emphasized by John Paul II would continue. Pope Benedict XVI took center stage in August of 2005 at World Youth Day in Cologne, Germany, where he made his first international trip, as well as his much-anticipated homecoming to his native Germany, over 1.2 million young people gathered to see the Vicar of Christ. The body and blood of Christ are given to us so that we ourselves will be transformed in our turn. We are to become the body of Christ, his own flesh and blood. In January of 2006, Pope Benedict promulgated his first encyclical called Deus Caritas Est, God is Love. Later that September, the Holy Father delivered the now famous Regensburg Address entitled Faith, Reason, and the University. The controversy the speech caused led to violence and vandalism around the Muslim world. I spoke on the relationship, relationship between faith and reason. I included a quotation on the relationship between religion and violence, this quotation, unfortunately, was misunderstood. In no way did I wish to make my own the words of the medieval emperor. I wish to explain that not religion and violence, but religion and reason go together. In late 2006, 
unprecedented security measures protected the Holy Father during a trip to Turkey. Pope Benedict XVI also revived a number of traditions, including elevating the Tridentine Mass to a more prominent position when he issued the motu proprio letter Sumorum Pontificum. And in November of 2007, the Holy Father promulgated the encyclical Space Salvi on the virtue of hope. In April of 2008, during his visit to the United States, Pope Benedict was received at the White House on his 81st birthday. He would meet with sex abuse victims from the Boston Archdiocese, address the United Nations General Assembly, visited Ground Zero, and celebrated Mass at Nationals Park and Yankee Stadium. In June of 2008, the Holy Father opened the Year of St. Paul with Vespers at Rome's Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls. And in July, Pope Benedict visited Australia to participate in World Youth Day. He made a historic full apology for child sex abuse during a Mass with over 3,400 on hand. In March of 2009, the Holy Father announced that a year for priests would be celebrated. And in July of that year, Pope Benedict issued his third encyclical called Caritas in Veritate on problems related to global development. In January of 2010, the Holy Father visited the synagogue of Rome. And in March of 2012, Pope Benedict traveled to Cuba for a three-day visit. 14 years after Pope John Paul II went to Cuba. On December 3, 2012, the Holy Father's Twitter account goes live in seven languages and would eventually have over a million followers. On February 11, 2013, Pope Benedict XVI announced that on February 28th, he would resign as Supreme Pontiff due to his advanced age and deteriorating health, becoming the first Pope to resign since Gregory XII in 1415. The Vatican also announced that a conclave would be convened shortly thereafter to elect a new Pope. On January 13, 2020, Pope Emeritus Benedict published a book expressing his view that the church must maintain its discipline of clerical celibacy in light of ongoing debate on that issue. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI became the longest-lived pope on September 4, 2020 at 93 years, 141 days, surpassing the age of Pope Leo XIII. During his nearly eight-year papacy, Pope Benedict XVI traveled to 19 countries, wrote three encyclicals, 21 apostolic letters, two apostolic exhortations, and seven apostolic constitutions. Pope Benedict XVI will always be remembered for his teachings and his prolific writings that always defended traditional Catholic doctrine and values. Pope Benedict XVI died this past Saturday on December 31st, 2022, at the age of 95. May he rest in peace. Uh, Pope uh, Emeritus Benedict XVI's body will continue to lie in state for public viewing at St. Peter's Basilica before his funeral service on Thursday. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go live to the Vatican to check in with our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, for yet more reaction on the death and the upcoming funeral of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Stay with us as Morning Air continues on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And speaking of kindness at this moment, 
my thought goes spontaneously to dear Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, who left us this morning. We are moved as we recall him as such a noble person, so kind, and we feel such gratitude in our hearts. Gratitude to God for having given him to the church and to the world. Gratitude to him for all the good he accomplished, and above all, for his witness of faith and prayer, especially in these last years of his recollected life. Only God knows the value and the power of his intercession of the sacrifices they offered for the good of the church. And that, of course, was Pope Francis honoring Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI on Saturday uh, after his passing. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverins and Sarah Tafoya. Good to be with you on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Thanks so much for joining us on this Tuesday morning. It's also the memorial of the most holy name of Jesus. And now we go live to the Eternal City and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, for more on the death and the upcoming funeral of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Ashley and her husband John founded the Truth and Beauty Project, providing Renaissance-style theological formation for visitors to Rome. You can read more about them at johnandashley.org. Good morning, Ashley. Buongiorno. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks so much for joining us from Rome. It's great to be with you, although a little bit sad to talk about the passing of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Yes, certainly quite a way to start off the new year. Uh, but nevertheless, buon anno to you too, John. Happy New Year. Thank you, Ashley. Uh, you obviously have been covering the Vatican uh, and, and many Holy Fathers uh, in recent years. I, I would love to know your reaction uh, when you first heard the news of the passing of Pope Emeritus uh, Benedict XVI. Well, John, my husband, John, and I went to visit his family for Christmas, and uh, they are currently living in Bangalore, India. And of course, uh, after the audience last Wednesday, when Pope Francis asked the world to pray especially for Pope Benedict, all of us were preparing, knowing that this, this moment would soon be coming. You know, for years, John, I had prayed that with all of the traveling that we do, that we would be in Rome for the passing of the Pope. And uh, the, we, my husband John and I arrived on the morning of December 31st. Our flight from Abu Dhabi was two hours delayed, so we got in uh, just about 30 minutes before Pope Benedict passed. And I, all I could do was just thank the Lord so much for answering those prayers. And you know, although we haven't seen him much for the past nearly nine years, it has been such a comfort to know he's there, to know he's right there behind the Vatican walls in the Vatican Garden. And uh, we're certainly going to miss him a lot. No question. And there is so much uh, to talk about when it comes to uh, uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, uh, uh, just a tremendous man, uh, a holy father, a priest, a bishop, uh, a world-class theologian, a tremendous teacher. There's so much that we can talk about uh, mm -hmm. when it came to, uh, to Benedict XVI, uh, Ashley. 
Yes, exactly. Imagine 70 years of priesthood. Imagine 65 books and three encyclicals. You know, when he was elected pope, he made the decision that he would be a teaching pope. And of course, this was him using his incredible gifts of scholarship for the church in such a powerful way. And uh, when he wrote the Jesus of Nazareth series, he originally thought it was just going to be the first book. But it was during his papacy, during for example, uh, visits out to Castle Gandolfo and opportunities to spend some time in quiet solitude and writing that he was able to complete those books and give leave us such an incredible theological legacy, John. Well, he touched uh, so many people over those 70-plus uh, years as, as a Catholic priest and a bishop and ultimately the successor of St. Peter. I actually have two of those encyclicals here in the studio with me, mm. Deus Caritas Est and uh, Space Salvi, um, written by uh, Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, the, the message in Deus Caritas Est, God is love, really, that is the essence of our Catholic faith. Ah, exactly. You know, John, that was his first encyclical. I was so personally touched by it. I spent lots of time studying that. And in fact, I even took an email address, Deus Caritas Est, because of him. And the, his reminder that being a Catholic does not mean just following a, a set of good principles. It's not about good ethics. It is about an encounter with Jesus Christ, with the person of Christ, and that's what he calls us to do. And in Space Salvi, too, I'm thinking about how he he talked about looking for good people in, in our lives and in the world as lights. And he certainly was illuminated. He was such a light to us all. Well, Ashley, both you and I were both uh, blessed to have had the opportunity to meet uh, Pope Benedict. I, I met him uh, during our honeymoon uh, back uh, in mm. 2005, just shortly after uh, Pope John Paul II had passed away and then got the the joy uh, of reporting on him uh, live from Cologne, Germany mm. for Relevant Radio during World Youth Day. I'll never forget that experience oh, of being amazing. on the media boat uh, going down the river along with the Holy Father and a million people on both sides of the river just cheering him on. Um, tremendous memories. I know you have some great memories uh, of your own uh, with uh, with uh, Pope uh, Emeritus Benedict XVI. Well, John, indeed. And you, you're talking about the, when the Pope blessed your marriage and, and you were kind enough to share that photo with me. And it's such a photo of joy. That was the first word that leaped to my mind because not only are you and your wife exuberant, but the Pope himself is. And you can see the, the simple joy he took in blessing your sacrament and in being part of that. And that's just incredible. And my husband, John, and I, on our first anniversary of marriage, had the opportunity to spend some time with Pope Benedict, and he also blessed our marriage. And, you know, it was so amazing because what we were captivated by was how he actually spent time with us, how he, and time means, you know, like a minute and a half, right? It's a, it's a quick thing, but he was so present during that time. And he, I, I was struck by the gentleness of his eyes. He had the most beautiful, soft green eyes. And the kind that you just kind of go, oh, like that. And so there was just um, such incredible love that he exuded in that short little meeting that we had. And I, John and I, my husband John, will certainly never forget that amazing moment. 
Well, Ashley, and we're joined uh, by our Rome correspondent, Ashley Narona, live uh, from uh, uh, Rome this morning, talking about the passing of uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. Um, Ashley, uh, Holy Father, uh, smiling from ear to ear in that photo <laughs> uh, with uh, my wife, Cindy, and myself. And uh, that is just the opposite of the way that so much of the media tried to portray mm. him as God's Rottweiler and this you know, authoritative figure. But he really was mm-hmm. a gentle soul, a gentleman. Yes. Yes, in fact. And he, he really had the, the gentlemanly way in his theology, too, in his approach to theology. The way that he presented his points were very scholarly, very logically, but and it was never trying to shove anything down anybody's throat. Uh, but he certainly was a, a fantastic German shepherd, right? He was a true shepherd of our faith. And we will always be grateful to him for that. Well, Ashley, um, talk about uh, the incredible opportunity that you had uh, to uh, uh, spend some time in uh, the Pope's private chapel uh, praying with his remains, the remains of Pope Benedict. So on Sunday, the feast of Mary, the mother of God, I had the opportunity to go to Pope Benedict's private chapel there in his monastery where he lived and to spend about a half an hour just in in silent prayer there with his remains just a, a foot from his feet it was an experience like no other as i walked in i didn't quite know how i'd feel or what to expect but there was such a peace in the room and that came over me and i really felt like i was breathing sacred air and it, it was really something to see him uh, his, you could see his hands were quite gnarled. His, his face had a, a bit of a purplish tinge to it. He definitely was suffering, and uh, he he wore red. You know, he's wearing a red vestment, which is the traditional burial color of popes. And he also had an alb on that had little flourishes that looked to me like chaffs of wheat, which I thought was. Obviously, wonderful Eucharistic symbolism that he would be so happy to to be wearing. And uh, John, after having the chance to to spend that time in prayer and putting <laughs> putting before him um, our relevant radio family and so many intentions, um, it, it was interesting going out in a very somber way. Had the opportunity to chat with some other people who really loved him. One was his barber, his barber of 17 years, who who talked about the way that every time he spent time with the Pope, the Pope would grasp his hand with two hands in such a loving, sweet way. And uh, talked about how when his wife was ill, the Pope actually personally contacted the barber's wife to say, you know, I am praying for you. He wanted her to know that. I also had a chat with uh, a, a gendarmerie, a guard at the Vatican named David, Davide, who uh, was privileged enough to take the Pope on his last walk in the Vatican gardens. So that was not this past Wednesday, but the Wednesday previous. And uh, how honored he felt, because of course that was a tradition of Pope Benedict, and he would pray the Rosary in the Grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes there, and then also uh, spoke to the Pope's 
artist, the um, portrait artist of the Pope. She's been the official artist for the last 20 years. She just released a new portrait of the Holy Father in November and had had spent some intimate time with him as she was creating this because, you know, she was saying she's very tactile and she has to see and touch as an artist. And she especially wanted to show his rosary, the rosary that he always kept with him. He, she wanted to make sure she got every single detail of it. And so he would, didn't want to part with it and lend it to her. So she went and spent time with him to, to see, to look at that rosary and watch how he carried it. And it's the same rosary that actually is wound around his hands right now, John. Well, Ashley, um, I remember you also had an encounter uh, in the Vatican Gardens uh, with uh, the Pope last summer. Yes. Oh, that was so amazing. So it was August. It was the first week of August. And my husband, John, and I had just run a truth and beauty project immersion for the, um, which is an evangelical week long experience. And this one was for young adults. So these young adults had come from the US and Canada and Australia. And as a big finale of the week, a priest who works at the Vatican and loves the, the mission of the Truth and Beauty Project invited us on a private tour of the Vatican Gardens. And of course, that's that's a joy because you get to go to special places that you wouldn't ordinarily get to go. And so as we stood there, under the window at Mater Ecclesiae of Pope Benedict XVI, knowing that he was there on the other side of the cracked window. We just felt compelled to prayer. And so we sang the Salve Regina. And afterwards, the priest who had accompanied us, he got a little nervous. And he said, you know, you, you might have woken him up. And I don't know if that was such a good idea. But I thought, you know, I think that he would love to hear these angelic voices raised in prayer come from under his window. And we turned around and began to walk away. And all of a sudden we hear this voice behind us and we hear, excuse me, excuse me, scusatemi, was it you who sang for the Pope? And we said, yes, it was. And she said, well, he wanted you to have this. And she handed each of us a little red box, and it had his papal insignia imprinted on the front. And inside was a beautiful golden keychain. And on one side is an image of Our Lady Mother of the Church, Mater Ecclesiae. And the other side is an image of Pope Benedict XVI himself. And of course, I have carried that every day with me. And it conjures such a special memory of intimacy of how we were connected through prayer, prayer through the intercession of Our Lady, no less, on that very special day, John. Well, Ashley, uh, again, there's just so much to talk about, not enough time. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to continue uh, our uh, conversation about uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. I know you you were there for many, many of his papal audiences on, on Wednesdays. You were there for the last one. You even saw him when he took off in the helicopter. Uh, to begin his retirement. Uh, so we have a lot more to talk about. But uh, real briefly, um, what do we know about the, the funeral arrangements? I know that tens of thousands of people have mm -hmm. been converging on uh, St. Peter's uh, to be able to uh, say goodbye to uh, Benedict XVI. 
Yes, indeed. Hotels are sold out. Flights are sold out. Uh, people are coming in in droves. And the funeral will be on Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m., presided by Pope Francis. And it will be there in St. Peter's Square. And the Pope will eventually be entombed in the grottos. So many who visited St. Peter's Basilica will be familiar with that floor underneath the main floor of St. Peter's, where many popes have been buried over the centuries. He will be buried in the same place, the original resting place of Pope St. John Paul II. That is before Pope St. John Paul II was moved to the main floor of the Basilica at the altar of St. Sebastian. So sure enough, uh, we will also be able to, to visit Pope Benedict XVI there very soon, John. Well, Ashley, we'll have much more on uh, the upcoming uh, funeral of uh, Pope Emeritus, uh, Benedict XVI. Uh, again, thanks so much for joining us live uh, from the Eternal City, from Rome, and uh, so much appreciate uh, your uh, perspective and your insights. So happy to be here, especially to share these important moments with you and our Relevant Radio family. John, God bless. God bless you too. Ashley Narona, our Rome correspondent. You can listen to her reports on the Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Father John Gordon, the Secretary for Evangelization for the Archdiocese of Newark, will join us to talk about the end of the Christmas octave and ways that we can continue the spirit of Christmas here in the new year of 2023. So stay with us. Uh, there is much more to come as Morning Air continues uh, here on uh, this Tuesday on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On the tenth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me ten lords a leap and nine ladies dancing, eight maids a melting, seven, seven swans a swimming, six geese a laying, five gold and welcome back to Morning Air. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this first Tuesday of the new year here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life uh, this morning is from Philippians 2, 10, and 11. The Apostle St. Paul writes, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the month of January and today, the church honors the holy name of Jesus. There is power in the holy name of Jesus. In fact, the name of Jesus is the shortest and the easiest and most powerful of all the prayers. Our blessed Lord himself solemnly said that whatever we ask the Father in his name, we shall receive it, provided it be for his glory and for the good of our soul. Every time we say the holy name of Jesus with reverence and love and proper intention, we give great glory to God and obtain for ourselves untold graces. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. A number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. Now, perhaps during the slow time of the year between Christmas and New Year's, you took time to uh, put all your Christmas decorations away. But just a reminder here, Christmas uh, is not over, folks. The Christmas season is not over. Although the octave of Christmas ended two days ago on January 1st, we still have some beautiful days ahead of us from the Christmas season, which ends this coming Sunday, January 8th, with the celebration of the Epiphany of our Lord. 
How can we continue the spirit of Christmas throughout the season and also throughout the year? Joining us now live is our spiritual uh, director today, Father John Gordon, with much more on the end of the Christmas octave and ways that we can continue uh, the spirit of Christmas here in 2023. Father Gordon is the Secretary for Evangelization for the Archdiocese of Newark, as well as a longtime relevant radio contributor. Good morning, Father Gordon. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again for our first live show of 2023. Good morning, John. Uh, Glenn Sauer, it's great to be with Relevant Radio. It's a tremendous privilege. I am delighted to be here today. There is so much going on. I I like very much how you began by reminding us it is still Christmas. Um, You know, the the culture around us, uh, Christmas ends on December 25th. And uh, even Christian radio stations, uh, uh, hard to find uh, Christmas carols. But it is Christmas season, at least through Epiphany, if not even to the next day, the baptism of the Lord. But I would say one of the things that we can do, and if you already put your Christmas decorations away, take them out. And the reason I say that is because it's not just a few more days. My vote, not that it counts, but my vote is that we keep our Christmas decorations up until February 2nd, the Feast of the Presentation. Because that feast begins by saying 40 days ago Christ was born, 40 days after Christmas. And there's a way in which we kind of, by keeping Christmas lights and the crest scene, and if you have a live tree, you probably have to get rid of it by this time. But the other things that are there, they're saying something to the people around us that we hold on to this. We hold on to this truth, this reality that Christ has come. And we celebrate it and we acknowledge it. And that's a very, very wonderful thing. Because people say, why are your Christmas decorations set up? You're just too lazy to take them down. Oh, no, not at all. We keep them up because we celebrate Christmas for a whole 40 days. It's just a wonderful, glorious uh, way of acknowledging that although the liturgical season of Christmas ends with the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, the, 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 the human celebration can continue indeed forever. But certainly, at least I would say until February 2nd, which still gives us plenty of time to dismantle it and get ready for Lent, which starts about 20 days later. I love uh, that idea. Keep those decorations, keep those nativity scenes uh, uh, up until uh, February 2nd, which ironically was the old uh, traditional date uh, during uh, Christmas tide. That was when Christmas used to end under the old uh, traditional calendar. So uh, there is a historical precedent uh, for continuing uh, to uh, to remember this uh, special Christmas season for much longer uh, than the, the rest of the world, which, like you said, you know, oftentimes the day after Christmas, you see people taking their their, their live Christmas tree out to, to the garbage. Uh, it, it, it's remarkable because it, 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 I think it buys into a thing that it's all about the pre-Christmas celebration. And while we acknowledge that there's a certain uh, festivity to the, the pre-Christmas time, which we call Advent, it has its own unique character and it allows us to, to not just have Christmas be lost in just a, one day or even in the octave uh, as wonderful as, and, and the amazing thing about the octave of Christmas uh, it's such a remarkable uh, piece because here we are, Christmas Day, the glorious celebration of the birth of Christ, angels and shepherds and, and beautiful, beautiful stuff. And then we're hit right away with the power of the cross. I mean, the day after Christmas, it's the first martyr, St. Stephen, then St. John. And the gospel for St. John's feast day is Peter and John running to the tomb. And uh, then the next day is a holy innocence, a true first martyrs. And we find in this, like, why is all this bloodshed? Why is all this going on? Because it reminds us 
that Christmas is unique because it celebrates the birth of someone who came to die. We were born, John. You and I were born that we might live. But Jesus was born. He took on our flesh so that he might offer to the Father on the sacrifice of the cross. And it brings us right up to that very truth, that very reality. And he did it because we need it. We need that saving grace. We need that life-giving death and resurrection from Jesus. And so even as we acknowledge that for some people, Christmas is a challenging time because of loss in their personal lives, whatever. But it reminds us, Jesus is not, we are not alone. Jesus is with us in all these times of challenge and difficulty, because that's the very reason he came, to be with us in the highs and in the lows, and that he might um, find, we might find ourselves, as we hear so often, this was a, a very strong buzzword for uh, relevant radios, we are not alone. And, and he is with us. And I find tremendous joy in that. And so while he can be with us and we're, we're united to him in the suffering and death, but he also therefore is able to raise us and see beyond the, the moment of, of challenge and difficulty and pain, to see beyond that, to see this is all because the glorious coming of the Lord in the first place and his, the, the, the coming of the Lord in, in this first place and the glorious coming of the Lord at the end of time that we eagerly look forward to. And that's why it's still Advent, too, because we still pray, come Lord Jesus. Well, Father Gordon, this is what I love about the celebration of Christmas from a, a Catholic perspective. Uh, the Feast of Christmas, the Solemnity of Christmas is such a big feast that it one day can't contain it. That's why we have the Octave. Right. We spread it out, and every single day uh, for eight days is like uh, the first day. Exactly right. Exactly right. From the liturgical perspective and, and for the liturgy of the hours. And so it's just even as each day, each day has its own unique characteristic, St. Stephen, St. John, the Innocents, for example, there's a way in which it still is the unique celebration of Christmas, the day itself. And you're right, John, it, it can't be contained in one day, and we kind of explode with it. And, and the challenge, too, is, you know, it's difficult sometimes to sustain that joy. Uh, for some reason, uh, we as humans find it very difficult to sustain joy in a genuine way as opposed to a, a forced way. And by acknowledging the whole octave of Christmas, indeed the season of Christmas, indeed, as you're going through all the way to possibly February 2nd, we find ourselves being reminded of the cause of our joy, that Christ has come, that he is come, that he is here, and that he sustains us and carries us and forgives us and loves us and fills us with his Holy Spirit that we might recognize him. You know, we have a great feast coming up on Sunday the Feast of the Epiphany, which in some places is almost bigger than Christmas itself. Because while in the first place, Christmas is the coming of the Lord, Epiphany is the manifestation, the recognition. He's here. And the wonderful way in which Epiphany just spreads itself out beyond just the event of the Magi, but there's two other Epiphany kind of moments that the Church holds on to, the baptism of the Lord, which we'll celebrate the next day, and also the wedding feast at Cana, where he reveals his glory and they begin to believe. It's just so exciting and wonderful, John, that I, I, I can't be bothered taking down Christmas lights or taking down decorations yet. We still need to celebrate glory to God in the highest. He is here. Amen. Uh, Father Gordon, uh, for us as Catholics, uh, every day uh, can be Christmas. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship between the Holy Eucharist and the Nativity of our Lord? Amen. Amen, John. Thank you very much. You know, we know that the Mass, in a, certain, in a very real sense, is a, um, a sacramental representation of Calvary. And 
And so the, the offering of what happens on that altar is the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. But I would suggest that the altar is also Bethlehem, because it's where Christ comes. When Jesus the priest says the words, this is my body, this is my blood, the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ. And just as surely as, as he's placed in a manger, a feeding trough, Bethlehem, the house of bread, now this altar becomes the house of bread. This chalice, this patent become a manger, a feeding trough. And we are coming to not just adore the Lord, but to eat his body and blood. And so because he came in the first place, we can come to him in the Eucharist. And so there was this tremendously uh, tight, tight a connection between Christmas and the Eucharist. Uh, Father Gordon, uh, 30 seconds, uh, final thoughts on how uh, generosity and gratitude can help us to keep the spirit of Christmas, uh, not just during this season, but uh, during the rest of the year. You know, you're true. Many of us, uh, we have a crucifix in our home and maybe in many of the rooms of your home. I would suggest as well having a crib somewhere, maybe not the whole nativity set, but just the crib. You know, the crib and the cross are the two kind of ed points of, of Christ's presence among us. And the crib can remind us of Christmas and the cross, of course, reminds us of Easter. Father Gordon, Merry Christmas. Thanks so much uh, for, for joining us. I appreciate it uh, very much. God bless you, John. God bless your Relevant Radio. Thank you very much. God bless you, too. Father John Gordon, the Secretary for Evangelization for the Archdiocese of Newark, as well as a Relevant Radio contributor. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Still continuing our Christmas theme with the Story Corner, today's story called A Brother Like That. Paul received an automobile from his brother as a Christmas present. On Christmas Eve, when Paul came out of his office, a street urchin was walking around the shiny new car, admiring it. Is this your car, mister? he asked. Paul nodded. My brother gave it to me for Christmas. The boy was astounded. You mean your brother gave it to you and didn't cost you nothing? Boy, I wish, he hesitated. Of course, Paul knew what he was going to wish for. He was going to wish that he had a brother like that. But what the lad said jarred Paul all the way down to his heels. I wish, the boy went on, that I could be a brother like that. Paul looked at the boy in astonishment, then impulsively added, Would you like to take a ride in my automobile? Oh, yes, I'd love that. After a short ride, the boy turned with his eyes aglow and said, Mister, would you mind driving in front of my house? And Paul smiled a little. He thought he knew what the lad wanted. He wanted to show his neighbors that he could ride home in a big automobile, but Paul was wrong again. Will you stop where those two steps are, the boy asked. Then he ran up the steps. In a little while, Paul heard him coming back. But he was not coming fast. He was carrying his little handicapped brother. He sat him down on the bottom step and sort of squeezed up against him and pointed to the car. There she is, buddy, just like I told you upstairs. His brother gave it to him for Christmas. It didn't cost him a cent. Someday I'm going to give you one just like it. And you can see for yourself all the pretty things in the Christmas windows I've been trying to tell you about. Paul got out and lifted the lad to the front seat of the car. The shining-eyed older brother climbed beside him, and the three of them then began a memorable holiday ride. That Christmas Eve, Paul learned what Jesus meant when he'd said it's more blessed to give. 
Thanks so much, uh, Glenn, as always. Now, coming up next hour here on Morning Air, we're going to have more on the life and the legacy of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and the holy name of Jesus with Martha Fernandez-Sardina, the founder of RememberYouAreLove.com, plus Catholic apologist William Albrecht will uh, tell us about the many prophecies about the Messiah that were all fulfilled by our Lord Jesus Christ. So stay with us, family. There's much more to come in the final hour of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.